Apostle John is responsible for uh, the writing of the Gospel of John, these three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. And we know from church history that in his old age, he was uh, placed on an island called Patmos uh, to write. And there it was, he wrote to us uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ and expressed through pen anointed by the Holy Spirit the things that he in his lifetime uh, had experienced as one who walked closely with Jesus. John would refer to himself through his gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. And perhaps you and I this morning would, would also very much like to take that uh, title or that uh, title's the wrong word, but that, that posture, the one whom Jesus loved. And that we could walk out uh, in this week ahead of us being that individual, the one whom we know Jesus loves us. That old Sunday school song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. So sometimes we, we can get uh, a little too far away from that very precious and uh, clear truth that Jesus loves us. And so as we come to this portion of the second chapter of 1 John, Jesus begins to again uh, revisit uh, four topics that he knows are important to uh, the church, important to everyone who will place their, their eyes and their heart upon what he has written. It becomes important, it becomes life uh, to those that have sought to follow Jesus Christ throughout the history that would come after his life. And so we find in uh, verses 12 through 29, we find four topics that John deals with, and we will take them uh, in that order. The first topic comes to us in this first section that we've read, verses 12 uh, through 14, and they deal with what I will call uh, our life cycle in Christ. John addresses little children, uh, and he writes to the uh, little children, those Often that uh, commentators agree that as John uses the phrase little children, fathers, you young, young men or younger, that he's um, dealing with the life cycle of those who become Christians. And we know that uh, when we first come to Christ, uh, the Bible calls us babes, uh, it's as though we're an infant. You know, we've had a natural birth, but now we've had a second birth. We've been born again, and we are uh, an infant. We are a babe in Christ. And how precious that time in our life is meant to be. Why? Because we, uh, we have our first encounter uh, 
with the forgiveness of God. We have our first uh, smattering, if you will, of the fact that God in his love has forgiven us of all of our sin. And that we should never uh, move too far away from, from that very beautiful place in our life, an encounter with the forgiveness of God that brings great joy. I can remember uh, it was September of 1980 that I dedicated my life to Christ. And having uh, walked in circles that were very uh, troublesome, uh, that were uh, very uh, unhealthy, and, and knowing the, the decay and the, the things that had transpired in my life prior to that, that m- September month in 1980, when at once I experienced the love of God, the forgiveness of God, it just brought such joy to my heart and still does. The Apostle Paul talks about these stages in in his own life and as it would relate to Christians in general. In his letter to the Corinthians, he was talking about uh, that relationship with Christ and, and what it means to grow. He said in 1 Corinthians 13, 9, he said, right now we, we only know in part And we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. In other words, there's only one who is perfect, God. There's only one who is perfect that's coming, and that's Christ. And when Christ comes, this this knowing in part will be done away with because then we will know him uh, face to face. And he goes on in the 11th verse of of 1 Corinthians 13. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. And he relates uh, a, a physical chronology, if you will, to a spiritual and a Christian walk. When we are brand new in Christ, we're babes. And as babes in Christ, we need to be fed and and feed upon the the sincere milk of the word of God. But Paul, in that same verse, he says, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And there is that point of progression, if you will, uh, in the life of a Christian that Never should we move far away at all from the joy that the forgiveness of our sins, the the encounter with God's forgiveness brings. But as time goes on and we feed on the, the word of God and we begin to grow, that what we had experienced as an infant, a babe in Christ, begins to be set to the side as we begin to grow and mature. He went on to say, for right now we see in a mirror dimly, 
but then face to face. Now, right now, Paul said, I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. That babe, the children, John says, little children, I write to you because your sins are forgiven. David wrote in Psalm 32.2, he said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and that there's uh, that whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, their fault, their transgression, their iniquity is not uh, imputed against them. It's been forgiven in the person of Christ. What a, uh, a tremendous and uh, important remembrance John brings. He says, I write to you little children, but he says also I write to you fathers in verse 13. Because you have known him who is from the beginning. And so now John turns his attention to what we would call the the mature-er, if you will. Fathers, those oak trees of faith. Those who have walked with God for, for many years and have, because of that walk, have an experiential knowledge of Christ himself. I have such regard for uh, elders in the faith. Uh, I remember when starting the work here 25 years ago as a younger man in my 40s, been walking with the Lord oh, roughly about, I don't know if I'm terrible at math, 15 years or plus, but I would just thoroughly enjoy when God would bring older men into the fellowship that I could look up to. Men that were uh, oak trees of faith, if you were. They were individuals that I could tell had a deep experiential knowledge of what it meant to, to walk with God and to have God walk with them. Paul talks about this same fact in his letter to young Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5.1, he told Timothy, Don't, do not rebuke an older man, an older man in the faith, but exhort him as a father. And so there is that posture, if you will, or that, that stage where uh, an older Christian, woman or man, the maturer, if you will, They resonate with an experience of God. In Psalm 91, we read this, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. And he shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him. And show him my salvation. It echoes of that, that oak tree of faith. That individual has this uh, tremendous longevity of walking with Christ and Christ with them. John goes on in verse 13 to speak also to, the, to youngers. He says, I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. And he repeats uh, this Trio, if you will, uh, 
after that, when he says, I write to you little children because you have known the Father. Verse 14, you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. You young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in, in you and overcome the wicked one. Here is he relates now, uh, having addressed babes, having addressed the senior, if you will, or the the mature in faith, he now comes kind of right into the middle to the the youngers who are in that stage of life where they're they're walking with the Lord and it's it's trial and then victory. It's trial and then victory. It's hardship and then joy. It's it's pain and rejoicing. It's this ongoing kind of roller coaster ride, if you will, that each one of us have as Christians. Now, I don't, maybe that speaks loudly to most of us here in this room, that we're in this uh, tube, if you will, a period in our life where the trials are not over, and as we walk with the Lord and he walks with us, we're held at peace, we're, we're strengthened by his presence, we're exhorted and strengthened by his word, but man, the flurry of things that come uh, are a lot. And when we get to the end of that particular season, when we come through that chapter, we look back and we go, wow, God, you were so faithful. Lord, you were so close. You didn't leave or uh, depart from me. You, you strengthened me. And I see now the victory in that hardship and in that trial was just your very presence with me. And that's what John is talking about. That's what he's writing about. Is I write to you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. In other words, they didn't just succumb to... Uh, the adversary, and his tools. Solomon, in writing Proverbs, Proverbs 20, 29, he said, The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. <laughs> So you look at a younger in the Lord and you just can see their strength and you look at an older in the Lord and maybe there's no hair or there's gray hair or some kind of hair. But Solomon understood this differentiation as well in the Lord. Joel, the prophet, when writing about the days in which we live right now, when the Spirit of God would, was going to be poured out upon this new uh, body of Christ, right at Pentecost, Peter said that this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. He said in Joel 2.28, It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see vision." John writes about these stages in the Christian life. Babes, uh, overwhelmed by the, the love and the forgiveness of God. Fathers or olders or mature, 
uh, exuding just kind of this ongoing uh, experience that Christ is there and passing that on to those of us still in the middle of things where it's, it's a trial and then it's a victory. It's a hardship and then it's joy. And what a, what a delight it is to see this life cycle of ours in Christ. Now, it's been said once that uh, commendation precedes exhortation. And in those uh, few verses, 12 through 14, John is writing a commendation. He's commending them. But in the fact that commendation often precedes exhortation, he is now going to exhort them in this second topic uh, in this passage. And I bring us to the contrast that Christians are to have with the world and the world is to have with Christians. In verse 15 through 17, I can draw your attention to it. We read it and John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And here in these three verses, John takes up this next topic of the contrast that that exists between the world and the child of God. I've broken it down to three uh, subcategories, if you will. He talks about uh, the system of the world versus the doctrine of our faith. He talks about the things of the world versus the things of the character of Christ and the Father. And he talks about the promises of the world versus the promise of God. Now, in verse 15, when he says, do not uh, love the world, that's, uh, in its original language, is an imperative. It's not uh, a suggestion. It's not, if you don't feel like it today, don't. It's an imperative that is a a command, if you will, brought to every Christian uh, with a strong exhortation. Uh, Isaac? Could I ask you to turn this down just a little bit, please? Thank you. It's a strong exhortation to not love the world. Now, what does he mean by the world? Uh, Who of us today, especially living out here in this rural community in which we live, uh, two hours from the Bay Area, two hours from Lake Tahoe, who of us doesn't like to take a beautiful drive Uh, up 88 or up 12, 4, whatever, into the Sierras that we have, the foothills, and man, especially in spring and fall, summer is beautiful as well, just beautiful winter, snow line. I mean, it is a glorious thing, this thing called the world, the creation of God. And so 
doctrinally, John is not talking about the physical earth that is filled with the beauty of God. He's talking about the system of the world, the world's ideology, the world's system of thinking versus Christian doctrine. When he says, do not love the world, he's saying, do not uh, love this world's system of thinking. And it is interesting that in the grammar, the tense means that it's like right now, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him at that moment. If anyone loves the world's system of thinking, finds it beautiful, finds it something that their heart is drawn to, at that moment in time, the love of the Father is not in him because the two are mutually exclusive. They cannot exist at the same time. To love the world's system of thinking examples perhaps come to your own mind this morning and you might have better ones than me but for instance if someone is uh, you read stories and and see advertisements uh, I go into a doctor's office and there's a, a Forbes magazine and I'm just using this as an example. Maybe you like the Forbes magazine. Maybe you are uh, someone who's given to uh, investments and all of that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong in of of itself. But as you read something like that magazine, it's, it's all about the money and the, the, um, uh, the stock exchange and how it's doing. It's growing. And is my, my portfolio growing? And, and am I reaching that? you know, ethereal mark that in the world's system of thinking says, I'm successful. That's just one example. Probably a bad one, but it's the one that I came up with this morning. And so what I'm saying to us is John is saying, don't love that. And if our hearts are inclined to that, what we're doing is we're replacing our love of the Father with that at that moment. Now, there can come a time when someone, a revelation comes to an individual that, that wow, my heart was really given to that. That no longer is important. As a child of God, I've come to realize uh, different priorities in my life and my love of the Father begins to increase as my love for the world decreases or for the world system of thinking. John also talks about the things of the world versus the things of the Father. And in the world, he, he uses there in verse 16, he brings attention to uh, all that is in the world. Notice what they are. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Precious verse to me. I remember when I first dedicated my life to Christ, this was one of the memory verses that came to my mind. Uh, one that I put in there from the very beginning, just wanting to walk closely with the Lord and trying to understand these three things that are in the world, 
but are not in the Father. And what are they? Uh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Let's unpack them just briefly. Lust, just so that we understand the word, is an inordinate desire. Okay? Uh, the word lust means an inordinate desire. In other words, not a normal desire, not a healthy desire. It's an unhealthy desire. Uh, it's an inordinate desire. So an unhealthy desire of the flesh can cover a lot of ground. It can be anything from an inordinate desire uh, for physical um, intimate, uh, interaction with the opposite sex all the way to an inordinate desire for uh, looking perfect, model, that kind of thing, the flesh. All about the outward appearance. All about how this face looks, or not this face, but a face, right? Uh, the, the intonation there, of course, is for um, unhealthy physical relationships. Uh, physical relationship with the opposite sex outside of marriage is an unhealthy physical relationship that is supposed to take place within the confines of the marriage covenant. And so if someone is engaged in that, and John's writing to Christians, if someone is engaged in that, what's happened is, is that uh, the things of the world are penetrating their, their thought processes and their decision-making. Uh, lust of the eyes, okay? Lust, inordinate desire, an unhealthy desire. That would be that my eyes begin to look at a lot of things that are in the world uh, and not gaze upon Christ. That I begin to look to and look for uh, those things in the world. And he summarizes here with the pride of life, which goes along with uh, an, an exact opposite of the character or the things of Christ, the character of the Father, uh, boastful, proud about one's uh, nature or giftings or personality. Those are things of the world where Jesus clearly gave us an example of humility. And lastly here, John talks about the promises of the world uh, versus the promise of God. In verse 17, he says, for the world is passing away and the lust of it. In other words, someone could invest all their energies in these things uh, and it's all going to go. But the child of God is given a promise of eternity. The world is temporary. A life in Christ is eternal. And so John exhorts, after commending, he exhorts the believer of where their love is supposed to remain. Uh, 
not in the world, uh, but of the Father. He gives them an example of the life cycle in Christ. Thirdly, this morning, uh, John brings to the table the topic of keeping the faith even when others are distorting it. Bring our attention to verse 18 and forward. As John writes, he says, "Uh, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest or known that none of them were of us. Us. And so here in these two verses, uh, under the umbrella of keeping the faith when others distort it, John recognizes that there are those who have come into the fold that are actually anti-Christ or against. Anti means against. Anti-Christ, anti-Jesus. Now, the Bible teaches that in in the last days, an Antichrist will emerge. But there is the spirit of Antichrist that can be in in many that are not that single individual that will come uh, in the last days, that will be exposed uh, in the three and a half year mark of the last seven years of the tribulation, the great tribulation period, you will... Uh, be exposed. But this is uh, the spirit of Antichrist where there are those that are truly against Christ. And one of the things that remains true of these types of individuals, they might not come out and outwardly tell you that they're against Christ, but their behavior, notice, they depart from the circle of believers. It says they, uh, they went out from us, but they were not of us. In other words, they depart from being a part of a local body of believers. And I have met uh, professing Christians. This is my own personal testimony. I, maybe you have the same testimony. I don't know. But I have met professing Christians that will not... Uh, join or become involved with or become close to a body of believers. And they have their reasons. Some of them that I've met, their reasons are uh, very clearly unbiblical. Some have social reasons. Some have uh, emotional reasons, relational reasons. But in the fact that they come apart from being involved in a local body of believers, they are, in essence, in their behavior, they are against Christ. Moving forward, another aspect of uh, false teachers is that they, they lack the knowledge of the truth. Verse 20 says, But you have 
speaking to the believer, John says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. So here, the, the false teacher or the one against Christ lacks a knowledge of uh, biblical truth. They may understand some truths about life, but they lack uh, a knowledge of biblical truth. And then finally, there's this aspect, not finally, but next, there's this aspect of denying the incarnation. Verse 22 says, he, uh, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And so we come here, clearly John is saying, anyone who denies that God came in the flesh and dwelt among us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, one of our clear, essential doctrines of the Christian faith. And yet there are those who do not embrace that, do not uh, agree with that. There are professing Christian organizations that do not call Christ God. John makes it very clear that they're false teachers. Finally, he talks about the abiding in verse 24 through 27. He says, therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. That if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who tried to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. What a beautiful reminder of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. It is a privilege and a calling for um, men to be called into this thing called the pastorate. And a pastor typically has two functions, to feed the flock of God, the word of God, and to care for the sheep. And some pastors are better caregivers than they are teachers. Some pastors are better teachers than they are caregivers. Some men I've met throughout years are very gifted and have both qualities. But John makes it clear here that for you and I to grow in the Lord, for you and I to understand the truth of Scripture, that God has provided the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't, you don't have to, do, don't take my word for it. Be a Berean. You know, study it yourself. 
And you have the Spirit of God in you that will teach you the anointing that abides in you and will teach you all things and you will abide in him. We'll close this morning with the final subject that John brings to this passage, not only the life cycle of Christians, not only the contrast that Christians have with the world, not only the keeping of the faith when others distort it, but finally, keys to confidence when Jesus returns. Notice verse 28. He says, And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And so he gives these uh, four basic but beautiful keys uh, for every one of us as Christians to have that confidence when Christ comes. The first is the abiding the word to stay, to stand and endure. It does not bespeak of perfection. It does not bespeak of a time or various times in our life when our, our faith weakens or even to the point of a stumble or a fall. But it speaks to the fact that this is, uh, this is a long distance race. It's not a sprint. We're to just hang in there and keep running and pressing toward the mark, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Stand, stay, endure. When he talks about not being ashamed, the word also references to be disgraced at his coming. Well, there's only one way to be disgraced at his coming, and that's to forget all about the grace of God. Remember his grace, his unmerited favor, that he loves you before you even loved him. And he has poured out his unmerited favor toward you and me in his grace. To hang on to that, to remember that, will uh, find itself granting us a confidence at his coming and not to be ashamed or not to be disgraced. He also talks about everyone who practices righteousness. The word simply means to continue, to exercise. Another word connected with it, which I found very interesting, is journeying. In other words, in this journey of our Christian life, we are endeavoring to walk righteously before God. Again, it's not a perfect uh, map. It's not, an, you know, it's not a flawless road, but it's, it's a, a journey in which we are endeavoring to walk righteously before God, to continue to exercise that uh, desire to walk righteously before God. And then finally, he uses the word born, of him, which speaks powerfully and loudly of our second birth, the regeneration, the, the born again, 
And I pray and trust that every one of you uh, listening, perhaps those that might be watching at home, that if you profess to be a Christian, it's not based on an outward uh, profession of faith. It's not based on some uh, outward works, but it is based on a regeneration that has happened in your heart of hearts. That you know, that you know, that you know, that you have been born a second time by the Spirit of God. And it is that born-again experience and truth and fact that reminds us that we, we will have confidence at his appearing. And oh, how we long for it and wait for it today. There is a life cycle in Christ. Babes, growing and youngers, and the mature. There is to be a contrast between what the world espouses and what the believer, the Christian, lives. There is a way in which to keep the faith when false teachers are seeking to distort it. And there is a confidence that we can have when he returns. John addresses these things here in a very sweet, tender, but clear way. Will you join me as we pray? Father, thank you for your great love for us, expressed so clearly by your servant John, but expressed even more clearly through the love of Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ, you died for us. That in that death and in our understanding of that sacrifice, that we too would have an unending fellowship with the Father. Lord, thank you for that today. May we never get too far away from the joy that the forgiveness of our sin brings. May we always remember, Lord, that we're growing, we're changing day by day. when we look at the world, Lord, may we see a difference between what the world's system of thinking is and what our system of thinking is. Lord, help us, God, by your Spirit. Open our eyes. Cause us to see and know the truth. And to walk out that truth, Lord, every day. For it is that anointing in us, Lord, your spirit in us that causes us to know we have that confidence when you come. To which we can say thank you, Lord. We can say thank you, Lord.